0: The text for the sermon this morning is 1 Thessalonians 1. The verses 6 to 9. We'll read those. 6 to 8. We'll read those verses again. Starting at verse 6, 1 Thessalonians 1. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. So far the text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and that includes you too, boys and girls, The word gospel means good news, good news. Good news will make people happy when they receive good news, brings joy. The Bible contains the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, so where Jesus Christ is proclaimed, you would expect people to be filled with joy at the good news of salvation. There will be those who react negatively even with anger, but the message of Jesus Christ and what he has brought about is good news which results in joy for God's elect. Right after Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds in the fields and announced Christ's birth to them. I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. Good tidings of great joy. Where Jesus appears and the message of His salvation from sin is proclaimed and where it is believed, there will be joy. And you read that throughout the New Testament. When the apostles proclaimed Jesus Christ as Savior in the book of Acts, you often read that the people who accepted that message responded with joy. For instance, after the Ethiopian eunuch had had the gospel explained to him by Philip while he was in the chariot. When he believed it and was baptized, it says in Acts uh, Acts 8, 39, that he went on his way rejoicing. And when Paul and Barnabas proclaimed the gospel in Antioch, it says that the disciples, um, those who believed the gospel, were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Evidently, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, joy is something that is closely connected with the preaching of the gospel. We could even say that joy is the required response to the gospel. If that joy isn't there, then the gospel apparently has not sunk in. Well, in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, the apostle mentions the word joy a number of times. In Thessalonica, the gospel really did sink in. Those who believed, joyful. In our text, we're told that the congregation there had responded to the gospel with joy of the Holy Spirit. Is that how we we respond to the gospel? That's something we have to ask ourselves then. Is that how we respond to it? Well, I preach to you the gospel in our text, 1 Thessalonians, With this theme, the proclamation of the gospel is meant to bring joy, and we see, first of all, how that joy is stimulated, and secondly, how that joy also, itself, also stimulates. First of all, how that joy is stimulated, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, too, the Apostle Paul, as we read in the first chapter of this letter, was very positive about that congregation there in Thessalonica. That congregation was obviously a a living congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. People had come to faith there in spite of of affliction in that that place. The apostle thanks God in verse 3 for their work produced by faith, their labor prompted by love, and their patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives good testimony of the faith of those Thessalonian church members then. (coughs) But there were some issues with the lifestyle and the doctrine of Christ's return in that church. There were some issues, so we, we could ask... Uh, how come does the Apostle gives such a positive testimony about that congregation right off the bat here? They were not perfect people. They needed correction. So what's he trying to achieve with all those nice words in chapter 1? Isn't it kind of dangerous to be that positive toward a congregation which obviously had some lifestyle and doctrinal issues as mentioned later on in the letter? Wouldn't it be better to include some words of caution and maybe even admonition right away? I I do have some problems here. He could have written right off the bat. Well, it's true that the church in Thessalonica wasn't perfect by a long shot yet, but we have to consider the context in which the apostle is speaking. He's speaking from the, the point of view of God's work in them. The apostle speaks in terms of those believers in Thessalonica having been chosen by God, elected by God, verse 4. And you see, the apostle sees the church, the existence of that church there in Thessalonica in the first place, not as, as a people's work, but as God's work. This is God's work. And that's why he's so positive. he's so positive about that off the bat. God brought those people to faith in Jesus Christ through his word and spirit. And that's why Paul begins that letter with thanksgiving to God for that congregation there in Thessalonica, verse 3. Now, from our human point of view, we're often more inclined to focus on the weaknesses we see in the congregation, right? We see the shortcomings of Various brothers and sisters, we notice a lack of zeal with that brother, lack of love in that sister, etc., etc., etc. It's not hard for us to come up with a whole list of weaknesses and shortcomings we see in the congregation here, too. Right? Not difficult for us to find things to criticize here. But the church is God's. This is God's work here. And imagine what you'd feel like if you were a shepherd and somebody came along and looked over your sheep and came with all kinds of criticism. That sheep over there looks pretty sick and that one over there is limping and the other one looks ready to keel over. And that, that sheep over there is really stubborn. It's true, there will always be something to criticize in the church of the Lord, but that's not the right way to look at God's flock as we read in 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul doesn't look at God's flock that way. Oh, that, that, that sharp and zealous apostle knew better than anybody else that, that there were all kinds of sins and shortcomings in that church of Thessalonica. Maybe those sins and shortcomings had frustrated him already to no end. Nevertheless, the apostle begins with seeing that congregation is God's flock, Christ's church, the Holy Spirit's gathering. And from that point of view, he doesn't come with criticism right at the beginning of his letter. He begins with thankfulness, gratitude. And congregation, we can, we can learn from that approach of the apostle. It's more difficult to thank God for what he has worked in the congregation it's, it's more difficult to thank God for that than to point out the shortcomings of, of the people in the congregation. Yet there's so much to give thanks for. Let's not get, let, the, let the shortcomings and the, and the troubles overshadow what God is working here. So much reason for thankfulness. Every Sunday the gospel of salvation through Christ may be proclaimed here and people come here to listen to that proclamation and there's desire to be faithful by the grace of god that desire and there's willingness to show mercy when the collection bag goes by it doesn't come in empty if we look for god's work it's here it is here and that should move us to gratitude deep gratitude for what we see in the congregation, and for being able to be part of that too. The apostle sees reason for gratitude in Thessalonica. He thanks God in our text that the gospel evoked a reaction there. He says, and he says that in verse six, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Became followers of us in the Lord. In other words, they not only heard the gospel preached by Paul and others, but they also acted uh, according to it. They they responded to it from from hearers of the word. They went on to become acceptors and and doers of the word. That's what the gospel seeks to make of us. We're, we're We're a work in progress congregation, as congregation. That's what the gospel seeks to make of us. It wants to take us over more and more so that we more and more have it in our hearts and it comes to practice in in our everyday life. Some people may think it's enough if you attend church and read the Bible at mealtimes and pray for your needs. They figure that's what makes a Christian, but that's not what being a true Christian is about. Being a true Christian means becoming followers of the Lord. That means that the gospel of Christ, that being a follower means that the gospel of Christ takes over your life. Takes over your life. You put that gospel in, you take it to heart and put it into practice in every area of your life. Your relationships, your work, your money, your entertainment. Note the gospel. So it's not a set of rules which prescribe for us exactly what we may or may not do. No, you hear and accept the gospel, and that means that you begin to live as people who have been delivered from the slavery of sin. And that means that you learn to say no to certain things. And then it's not a set of rules that forbids this and forbids that. Not at all. If faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ really becomes what your life is centered around, then you don't want to do certain things that displeads the Lord, and you do want to do things that glorify Him. It's not rules. It's desire. Like certain kinds of entertainment that are around today, you don't want to watch immoral, blasphemous movies, listen to those that kind of music. You have no interest in that. The gospel has taken your heart over more and more. You're a follower of the Lord. You only want what he wants. You hate what he hates. That's what being a follower of the Lord means. It means you only want to do what Christ does. You only want to go where Christ goes. Well, if you start living like that, you're gonna find out there are people who don't understand you at all, who don't like that. In fact, they're not going to like it at all that you only want what Christ wants. And that's because what he wants is contrary to what the sinful nature wants. And people who go by the sinful nature will not like it if you follow Christ, if you only want to do what he wants. The Thessalonian believers found that out. They ended up with quite a bit of affliction, it says. They accepted it in affliction. Suffering. That's what can happen if you listen to the Lord Jesus Christ instead of to your sinful nature. Look what happened to the Lord Jesus, who is the content of the gospel. He preached, and the more he preached, the more he was hated by the Jews and eventually put to death by them. Look what happened to the Apostle Paul and others who proclaimed the gospel in the world. They were assaulted, they were imprisoned, whipped, beaten. Well, the Thessalonian church members knew what that was. Paul writes in the text that in spite of receiving much affliction, they became followers of the Lord. They they still also received that message with joy even in spite of that that affliction. The apostle undoubtedly had in mind what happened when he first preached the gospel in Thessalonica as related in the first part of Acts 17. Be good to read Acts 17 at home, maybe sometime today yet. When Paul arrived in Thessalonica, he went to the synagogue there, and for three weeks he preached from the Old Testament about Christ and, and how the Old Testament showed that he was the one, that, and that he had to suffer and die and rise from the dead again. But though some Jews and Greeks too believed, many more were angered by what Paul preached, and they started a riot in Thessalonica. And when they couldn't find Paul, they dragged Jason and some others who believed before the city officials. And you can imagine the mistreatment those new Christians had to endure also afterwards. You can imagine that it wasn't easy to join that congregation there later on either. You could count on it that people would be upset and angry with you if you decided, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to be part of that. And you would be persecuted for the sake of Christ. Maybe you couldn't you would be fired from your job. Maybe you'd, you'd lose what you had because other people would be upset and take, take what you had. And still those Thessalonians had made that choice. They had heard the gospel, they believed it by the grace of God, and they followed their Lord in spite of the consequences. They even did that joyfully and that, that's the real, here. they did it joyfully did it in joy stimulated by the proclamation of the gospel Paul speaks in our text about joy in the Holy Spirit it's the Holy Spirit you see who gave those Thessalonians that joy they had through the gospel that joy didn't originate in themselves it wasn't stimulated by their circumstances because those circumstances weren't very good at all As we mentioned, joining the church in Thessalonica had resulted in affliction for those people. They were disliked, they lost their jobs, they were harassed, their property was damaged, maybe even confiscated. You realize that going to church on Sundays joyfully was not an easy task for them. Imagine if you had stones thrown at you here for coming to church here this morning. Not not a joyful thing to go and go to church on Sundays. And yet, those Thessalonians, in spite of that severe suffering, still continued to welcome the message of Jesus Christ with joy. And you realize it's not a shallow kind of joy with a big smile on your face all the time. No, this is a deep joy in the Lord. Joy that even suffering and sorrow can't take away. And they could... Be joyful because it was joy worked by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. That's that deep joy. He stimulates to joy with the good news of salvation through Christ. And he works that in hearts even when there's affliction, even when there's sorrow. And if that joy is not there, then the work of the Holy Spirit is being resisted. Congregation That brings then to the question, is there that joy stimulated by the Holy Spirit through the gospel, is that in your heart too? With you? The answer to that question, you know, depends on what we do with the gospel, right? Do we come to church out of duty or tradition or because we don't want to offend family and friends? Or do we really truly... Seek also the source of our lives here. Is Christ really the center of your life? Or is he somewhere at the margins of your life? To say it another way, is Jesus Christ the steering wheel of your life or is he the spare wheel? Think think carefully about that that question, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. Don't say too quickly, of course Jesus is everything for me. I'm the follower of the Lord. I'm a follower of the Lord. What if if you had to deal with what those Thessalonian believers had to deal with? What What if people... What if people bore down on you and afflicted you because you came here to church On Sundays? What if you had to give up your peace in life? Maybe your possessions, maybe relationships because of your commitment to Christ? What if following Christ meant that there would be no job for you to go to tomorrow anymore? What if it meant that friends and family would turn against you? What if it meant that you were going to be evicted from your home tomorrow because you want to obey the Lord more than men? Would you still say that Jesus Christ is everything for you? Even more, would you still welcome the message of the gospel with joy? Even if you had to fight to be here? Joy of the Spirit. Would you still come to worship here and to listen to the gospel with the joy of the Spirit? Or would you become bitter and resentful because of what you had to give up and would every form of joy disappear from your life because of what you had to go through for the sake of the gospel? Congregation, those things can happen. They happen in Thessalonica. And if you know church history, they happen throughout church history. We're, we're living here in a blip. We have the freedom, the peace. Those things are happening in various places, other places in the world today. How could those Thessalonians keep coming, welcoming the gospel with joy stimulated by the Spirit, coming to church with that joy? Well, that was because they clung to God's promises in that gospel. They believed it with all their heart. They knew that they had a far greater treasure in heaven which no thief could steal, no moth could destroy. And so like that merchant in one of Jesus' parables, they were willing to sell everything they had to get that one beautiful pearl of great value. They found the depth of their joy in that one beautiful pearl. Pray, pray intensely, congregation, that the Spirit helps you to focus your life on that one pearl of great value, too, in the same way, that pearl, Jesus Christ, then you will find your joy in him, and nothing, nothing at all will ever be able to take that joy away from you, even if you have to give up everything. We come to the second point of the sermon, how that joy also stimulates others that joy which the Thessalonians displayed, even in their affliction, that had a big effect on others. Other people noticed that, too. Paul writes in in our text in verse 7, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Macedonia and Achaia were two provinces of Greece, Well with their joy in the gospel, even in the face of suffering, those Thessalonian believers had become examples to believers elsewhere. A big encouragement. Others could learn from them what faith in Jesus Christ really means. What it is. After all, that joy in Christ, even in the face of affliction, that exhibits very clearly the power of the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel is able to stimulate to joy, even when you're being put down, even when you have to give up things, even when you lose your possessions because of that. And that shows how valuable that gospel of Jesus Christ is. And the the joy of those Thessalonian believers in their affliction showed that value, displayed it, held it up for others too. The joy in the gospel, even in their suffering, was a model, a joy that stimulated others to seek that same enduring and deep joy in their lives. Paul noticed that when he traveled through those other parts of Greece, that wondrous joy of the Thessalonian congregation that was talked about by others. Far and wide. It affected other people in other congregations. Paul says in verse 8: For from you the word of God has sounded forth. It sounded forth. The thing is, when Paul went to those other places in Greece, other churches, little house congregations, maybe, also struggling. He discovered that other people had heard about what was happening in Thessalonica, especially about the joy of the believers there, which continued even when they were being oppressed because of Christ. That made quite an impression on others who heard of it, other believers. They they gathered from that that having Christ must be something special, exceptional, valuable above all other things. So the message of the Lord sounded forth from the Thessalonians. The Greek word used here is actually the word echo it echoed forth from those thessalonian believers when you when you yell between mountains your voice echoes all over the place well the joy of in the lord's message in thessalonica it echoed to others all over the place all over greece other people heard about their joyful reaction to the preaching of the gospel even in the face of affliction And that helped Paul and the others with him to be able to proclaim that message in other places in Greece too. People wanted to hear what made those believers in Thessalonica so joyful in spite of their persecution. And then congregation, when you you read that, you have to, well, we have to ask ourselves too, is our joy in the gospel and in the promises of God which we received and we hear about here Is that joy so great that it echoes all over the place? It reverberates outside of here too? Not only the churches in classes, but but beyond even? What kind of impression do we as church make on other people? Do we sound forth as congregation here? Do we radiate? Such joy, even in our troubles, that others become curious about the source of that joy? Do we cause them to wonder what it is that makes us so positive in life, even when we're pushed down or even when we have no, no, not much reason to be positive in our lives? Or do people notice nothing different about us than they see in others who don't know Christ? Do they hear negative remarks about this and complaints about that, just like among among others who live without that treasure in heaven? Do they come here in church maybe and look around and see us sitting disinterestedly or maybe even sleeping in the pew during worship? See, if our attitude in church or elsewhere radiates indifference or carelessness or even resentment toward the gospel, congregation, then you stand in the way of someone else finding that gospel treasure, that pearl of great value, Jesus Christ. And if we only respond to the gospel of our salvation in Christ at home with criticism about this and about that in church, We shouldn't expect our children to react with a lot of joy to the gospel either. In Thessalonica, the believers responded to the gospel message with joy, even in the face of much affliction because of the gospel, because of Christ. And the apostle Paul gives thanks. He gives thanks that such joy has been stimulated there by the Spirit through the gospel. And he gives thanks also that that joy stimulates others to want to hear more about the gospel too and to have it in their hearts too. Congregation, let's concentrate on the gospel of Christ, what that means, and on following him, taking that to heart, following Christ. Then the Spirit will stimulate us to that same deep, Joy that nothing can take away. And when others see that joy, they will be stimulated to seek the source of that joy too. And all to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.